Good morning. How many of you feel like you have some kind of best kept secret that you just have to share? Does that ever happen to you? You feel like you just have some kind of information that you have to get out to people? Well, I do. Um, one of my hobbies actually is uh, barbecuing and smoking various types of meat. Uh, and it's really fun. Uh, it's just really nice to be out by a fire all day and it helps that the results are fantastic, right? Uh, so it's just really fun and I've been doing it for just about four years so I have to rely on others. I have to rely on experts. I stand on their shoulders, right? Uh, I'm, I'm not great or anything. I've been doing it for about four years and one place I go to get help is from the internet. Obviously there are some people on the internet who are so-called experts uh, who are not quite experts, right? They don't seem to know much, but sometimes uh, it's the case where they are truly experts. Uh, and so there's a guy who has a YouTube channel who I think is very helpful. Uh, anytime I run across somebody who, who's into the same kind of thing, I always tell him about it, right? He, he's a guy who's won tons of barbecue competitions. He has his own gear and seasonings and all this kind of stuff. And uh, he, he is an expert. He's been in the barbecue game longer than I've been alive. So I can't really argue with that. Uh, and so oftentimes when I walk or clean or cook or maybe set this room up for Wednesday night for students, um, I listen to, to his podcast. And you heard me right, a podcast about barbecue. Okay, hear me out, hear me out. A lot of people listen to podcasts that break down news or uh, you know politics or cultural issues, but I listen to a guy talk about meat smoking shenanigans. Uh, so it's silly, yes, uh, period. Yeah, it's silly, I know. Uh, but whenever I connect with someone over this wonderful art, I always have to share this guy's information because I think it's awesome. It really helped me, it upped my game, uh, and so I think it can do the same for others. I don't want to keep that wealth of knowledge to myself. I have to share it with everyone at least everyone who cares about it, right? Most people probably don't, but that's okay. Uh, so in the last few verses of Colossians chapter one, Paul discusses his calling from God to proclaim the mystery, right? And we're gonna talk about that in just a minute, the mystery, and it applies certainly to us today. If you haven't already, please open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter one. We're gonna be in verses 24 through 29. 24 through 29. As you flip there, if you're able, please go ahead and stand in honor of God's word. Colossians 1, 24 through 29 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. I have become its servant, according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. So 
Uh, you can go ahead and take a seat. Thank you so much. We're going to start by talking about Paul's sufferings. It's not our favorite uh, topic of discussion. It's not the best thing to, to talk about, right? But uh, his sufferings and his afflictions. So the first word in this section is now. And this word now has two meanings we can really look at. So the first word, uh, the first meaning is temporal, right? So it's this time. Paul was suffering at the time he was writing this letter. He said, now I am suffering. And so when we look at his life stage right now, he was in jail. Not oftentimes the place where we rejoice. Oftentimes the place we suffer. And think about this. It wasn't just a 21st century jail nice and clean for the most part, right? Now, he was in shackles, in chains, probably dark, smelly, moldy, really gross, not good conditions. He was indeed suffering, not the time people usually choose to rejoice. Second, the second meaning of now is transitional. So in the past few, uh, the past section right here, we were talking about Christ, right? The sufficiency of Jesus and the supremacy of Jesus. He says, now... This is why I rejoice in my suffering. So he's rejoicing. He's able to rejoice in his suffering because of what came before. The sufficiency of Christ and the supremacy of Christ. That is Paul's reason to rejoice here. So he's in horrible conditions, shackles and chains and, and all the stuff that we don't even want to think about or deal with. Uh, he knew the hardships were in the interest of the church of Colossae. He knew that his uh, sufferings were edifying or encouraging and lifting up the church and Colossae. This is what he says. Um, Hugh Latimer, he was a reformer in uh, the 1500s, and he was burned at the stake for his beliefs and his teachings. Um, he was quoted as saying, to his friend Nicholas Ridley, who was there with him. He was quoted as saying, right as they're about to be burned, be of good cheer, Master Ridley. By the grace of God, we'll light a candle in England today that shall never be put out. He knew that his suffering had a greater cause. He knew that whatever he was dealing with or going on, uh, and obviously at this moment, it was a lot, Whatever was going on at the moment had a greater cause behind it. Paul knew the reason why he was suffering, therefore he could endure it. Paul knew the reason he was suffering so he could endure it. Today we often struggle with the idea of suffering. Right? We, we ask the, or maybe we've heard or we've asked the age-old question of why do bad things happen to good people? Maybe you phrased it this way or you've heard it phrased this way. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Have you heard this? You've probably heard this or, or asked this yourself. Um, unfortunately, we do. We live in a fallen world uh, where creation is separated from its creator because of sin. And so we live in a fallen world. Uh, God does, however, use these struggles and, and these hardships that we go through to mold us and to shape us into who we are today and who we will become later. Believers grow through their struggles. And also on the other side of that, the church grows through its struggles and, and persecution and afflictions. So God uses these struggles to mold and to form us into who we will become because of Christ. 
And so believers grow through their suffering and the good that they receive through that flows to others and therefore it encourages and edifies the church as a whole. And so I know that many of you um, just within the last couple of years have probably suffered a lot. It's been a crazy few years um, and I can't even imagine or begin to imagine some of the things that, that you have dealt with. Uh, we, we've had this in our families as well, but I do know this. Paul's ability to rejoice in his sufferings resulted from an eternal perspective on his earthly circumstances. Paul's ability to rejoice in his sufferings is a result of his eternal perspective on his earthly circumstances. See, it didn't matter what was going on to him. It didn't matter what was going on in his life and, and all, this, all this junk being in jail and persecuted and, and beat. His suffering was not just for um, himself or his personal relationship with the Lord. It was also for the church of Colossae, but also the cause of Christ as a greater whole. So one of the reasons we, we have this letter today. Uh, and too often we are are quick to avoid situations in which we might encounter hardships and struggles, right? We, we can kind of see and go, no, I'm not going to do that because I know this could happen or I'm not going to go to that person because that's going to be difficult. And I'm not saying that we should uh, jump to get into tough situations. I'm not saying we need to run into that. However, uh, we're, we're very careful about what we do. However, uh, we should view everything with a heavenly lens in which we view our struggles and hardships and bad situations. Uh, and we need to look at it with a heavenly lens to see the glory of God showing through those and through those situations and as a whole over the church. We need to look at it with a heavenly lens. Now let's look at the part of the passage that might be difficult for some people to understand or that might cause confusion to people says this in verse 24. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. That is the church. So first and foremost, Paul is not claiming that Christ's redemptive work on the cross and that his atonement are not themselves incomplete. Are not themselves complete. This is not what he's saying. Christ's work on the cross lacks nothing. Christ's work on the cross lacks nothing. However, what he is saying, the one thing that is lacking is said in these next few verses. It is the proclamation of the message of Jesus. That is what Paul is fulfilling in his suffering, right? Because in his suffering, the church is growing, the church is uh, being edified. So through his persecution, he is fulfilling the proclamation of Jesus' message and, and his gospel of why he died on the cross. Christ's work is done. Now all that's left to do is share it with the world. Christ's work is done. We just have to share it with the world. And so this leads us to our next point, which is Paul's mission, right? Paul's mission, which is also our mission. So Paul's mission is to make the word of God fully known and to present everyone 
mature in Christ. We're going to break that down just a little bit. Our commission, or another word uh, in here would be stewardship, uh, indicates that it's a task given by God to us to manage for him. So Paul was called by God to declare the word of God so that others might know God. Paul was called by God to declare the word of God so that others might know God. So here we have the mystery revealed, right? It almost seems like an oxymoron, but this mystery or another word for this will be secret. What is the mystery? For Paul, the mystery is not a what, but it's more of a who. This mystery is Jesus. Jesus is, was the incarnation of God's revelation. Jesus was the incarnation of God's revelation. And so we don't look at what is the mystery, but who. And that mystery is Jesus. Jesus is the subject of Paul's teaching and the object of Paul's worship. The same should be true for us today. Jesus should be the object or the subject of, of our uh, declaration, our proclamation, right, with our lives and with our words. And it should all, he should also be the object of our praise. So now, who was this mystery revealed to? It says to his saints. And so the saints are not talking about, um, it's not talking about like an elite group of ministers or, or people or a football team or some kind of heavenly host that eventually earned the, the rank of saint. No, here the saint is any believer. All believers are saints. And so here in verse 21 it says, to the saints. Uh, and so a saint in the sense is everyone who puts their faith in Christ and makes him the Lord and the Savior of their life. And so God wanted the Gentiles, right, who is everybody who is not a Jew, to experience this glorious wealth, to know the glorious wealth. Now that is strong language, glorious wealth. Now our earthly wealth eventually becomes meaningless, right? Because it's here on this corrupted earth where we already discussed that creation is separated from creator because of sin. And so this glorious wealth is greater than any kind of wealth we can achieve on earth because moth and rust will corrupt it. All right, the glorious wealth is the future inheritance that God has extended to his people through Christ. The glorious wealth is the future inheritance that God has extended through Christ to his people, and his people are his saints. The Bible says things here on earth are eventually corrupted, so any kind of wealth we can store up for ourselves is eventually meaningless. All we should care about is this glorious wealth we have uh, and the glorious wealth is the mystery, which is Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Those are an amazing seven words. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And hope is a reoccurring theme in Colossians. We see in uh, 1 verse 5 and, and verse 23. In this verse, hope expresses an eager expectation of and confidence in God's glorious future for his children and his creation. It's an eager expectation and a confidence in God's glorious future for his people. 
This is the hope that we have. It's what we have to look forward to. Here's something that we can look to and get through our current sufferings because we have this hope that's in front of us. Not hope of wealth when we're uh, retired, but, but this wealth that is for all of eternity. That is Christ in us. Remembering where our true citizenship is essential in this discussion because uh, this is essential to the Christian worldview, right? Our, our view of citizen, citizenship. And this glory we have is not our personal glory here on earth, but rather an experiencing God's glory for eternity. This is where we place our hope. This is where we place our hope. Not in us or anything we can do, but only in Christ. So this is Paul's mission, declaring and proclaiming the hope and glory, Christ in you. So proclamation is to make known uh, openly and with wide distribution. To make known openly, but with wide distribution. So this is everyone we come in contact with, we're proclaiming Christ to them in some way, right? Proclaiming Christ does not have to just be teaching or preaching from a stage or in a class, but engaging everybody and living in the gospel daily, supporting the spread of the gospel into the known world. So your world, wherever you're at, you can proclaim Christ every single day. And that's what we should be doing. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Mature in Christ. Here we see a picture of discipleship. Right, our call is not to just to go out um, and get someone, get someone saved and then say, all right, see you later. No, our goal is to make them uh, mature in Christ. Warning and teaching here in the, uh, in the scripture, they are complementary uh, terms that further the understanding of the gospel, of what the gospel actually is in the life of the believer. Warning is cautionary and it's counseling people in light of truth. And, and the understanding of the gospel, while teaching involves informing and instructing them in how to live their everyday life and let the gospel uh, really permeate uh, their actions. So this is what warning and teaching is. So, see, the gospel, it's not just the elevator pitch for Christianity that you give in the line at the coffee shop. The gospel is not just the elevator pitch for Christianity. Instead, it permeates all aspects of our lives and forms every action and every interaction with people we have and brings us to a greater realization, brings us to a greater realization of our relationship with Christ daily. That's what the gospel is. This discipleship, the Bible says it must be done with all wisdom. When we engage people with the, with the gospel, we do it with uh, boldness and courageously and compassionately, but also thoughtfully and carefully. This is how we approach people with the gospel. Uh, and now let's look at a word that's emphasized over and over again in this passage. Uh, the word is everyone. We are not to judge who we share the gospel with. We are not to judge who is worthy of God's message. Paul proclaimed and warned and taught everyone because he truly believed that Christ was for everyone. 
He truly believes Christ was for everyone, and he saw great potential in every soul he encountered. It was not his job to discern who should and shouldn't hear the gospel or who would and wouldn't respond to it. Instead, his job was to proclaim to everybody. We can't restrict the width of the mission by proclaiming the message to only a certain group of people. We also can't restrict the depth by simply winning over converts instead of making them disciples and walking along with them. This is the meaning of the ultimate goal, presenting everyone mature to Christ. We are to proclaim the message and the mystery of Christ to everyone and let the Holy Spirit do his part, right, both through us and in them. And that leads us to our next and probably most important point, which is Paul's power. Paul's power. It says this in verse 29, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. This is done solely through the power of Christ. Now, some of you might think, oh, well, I'd like to have some part in it. And some of you might be thinking, thank goodness, I want no part in it, right? Uh, This is all done solely through the power of Christ. It's literally with his strength. If we rely on our own strength, we will fail every single time. If we rely on what we can do, then we won't be able to do anything. It's going to fail every time. We're going to fall flat on our face every time. We toil and struggle and strive, but that is not because of us. While we should work hard and do everything we can as if it's for God, right, Uh, it's not based on us. We should realize that and we should understand and proclaim to everyone else that it is solely through God's power alone because all the glory, honor, and praise belong to God alone, not to us. We don't get any of the praise or the glory or the honor. And if it was because of us, then we might think that we should deserve it, but we don't because it's all God's. Philippians 2.13, it says this, For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. See, we are privileged in that God invites us to join him in his work, even though he doesn't need us to. Can you imagine that? He doesn't need me, but he invites me into his work, and it is such a privilege to be able to do that. We're privileged in that God invites us to join him in the work that he is doing through his power, not by ours. The power that was in Paul is still in us today. And the power is the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity and the the third person is not some kind of ranking. It's just an identifier that we have. Uh, The Holy Spirit is God dwelling inside of you. God dwelling inside of you on a daily basis. You cannot endure suffering alone. You cannot effectively proclaim the mystery of Jesus alone. You cannot effectively do any of this alone. You can't disciple someone alone. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't be mature standing in front of God alone by what you do. And you might think, oh, well, I think I could do pretty good. I'm, pretty, I'm a pretty good person. We're not. We, we can't do this alone, only through the power of the Holy Spirit within us. We so often try to do our best with the strength that we have and that we think we have. And thank goodness 
we don't have to because we have the power of Christ in us, the same power that was in Paul 2,000 years ago. So let's look at the Great Commission at the end of Matthew chapter 28. Jesus commissions his disciples to go, right? To make disciples of all nations, a.k.a. everyone. Go proclaim this message and present everyone mature and to Christ. He does not say, just do what you can when you can. Instead, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Then he's proclaiming, you are not doing this alone. You're doing this by my power. At the beginning of that, he says, all authority has been given to me. Not to us. It belongs to Jesus. And he is with us always to the end of the age. And he sent the Holy Spirit to be with us and every believer so that we can do this through his power alone. This may seem like a huge and untenable uh, task that we're given. And that's true if we go by our power. It's true. It's untenable. It's impossible. However, we have the Holy Spirit and working, he's working through us everywhere we go and through everything we do. Don't lose sight of this. Don't forget that when life seems too difficult to make it through and it's too much to bear, remember this. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. So as we wrap up this morning, because you have the power of the Holy Spirit working within you, you can proclaim Christ and the hope of glory in spite of and often because of your suffering. The Holy Spirit allows us to proclaim Christ, right? This, this mystery revealed to his saints. We can proclaim that mystery and the hope of glory in spite of and because of our suffering. Let's view our suffering from a different light. Let's not just view this stuff as um, getting in the way of our life. But instead, these are opportunities to let Christ shine through us in our weak spots. How is God going to use your struggles? How is God going to use your difficulties? Because we all have them. How is he molding you today because of that? How is he forming you? You may discourage, be discouraged by life or even this monumental task that has been given to us. If you are, rest assured, you don't have to do it on your own. As a matter of fact, like we've said, you can't. Like you can't. Keep this in mind. Our participation in God's work is a gift. Our participation in God's work is a gift, not a burden. If you have never made Jesus both the Lord and the Savior of your life, would you do that today? There will be people in the back in our connect space back there uh, to talk to or pray with if this is something that you need to talk to someone about or if you need to take that step today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, for the power of the Holy Spirit and the role that it plays in our lives. God, we thank you that we don't have to go about this and go through our sufferings alone. God, because we couldn't do it on our own. God, I pray for everyone in this room that whatever they're going through, God, they can view it as a way to be molded by you and to proclaim you in the midst of heavy circumstances.
God, give us an eternal perspective so that we can view our earthly circumstances in light of you. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.